stand up with me here today, and we're going to um, go to the scriptures here in just a moment of time, but I'm not going to read an opening text. I just have two passages of scripture that we're going to go to today, two verses in the book of Romans, and then we're going to journey to the familiar story in Luke's gospel, chapter number two. But I'm going to give you a title here today, and the message today is a little bit different for me. It's um, a little bit different connotation in the in in the context of Christmas, and I'm not taking the typical manner to take a particular element of Christmas uh, and and kind of you know jump into it and try to try to break it down and make application. Actually, for lack of better words, it's kind of a philosophical moment here. It's kind of birthed within my own musings. And, and this is the title that I've, you know, and I don't always give messages title, but often themes emerge. But this is what I, what I wrote from my own thoughts, wrestling with the morality of Christmas. Inner musings, wrestlings, thoughts, things that you don't often say out loud because you don't want to expose to a degree the uncertainty that you feel. And uh, so I'm in that boat at times as well. Often I have found myself with, I'm not an emotional person. And I'm, well, I'm slightly emotional, but I am, I'm not a, uh, let me just say, let's see, how can I say this? Uh, I don't have mood swings. Let me say, I'm not a moody person. Let me say that. The happy pastor that preaches to you here on Sundays, that's the way I live life. That's how I'm going to live life. I'm going to live life with a smile. When I thrashed my children, I smiled. I just couldn't <laughs> help it. That's the God's honest truth. And um, so I'm going to live life with a smile, but that doesn't mean that, you know, sometimes at Christmas I've had contrast and conflicting feelings. You know, at times I've had the joy of Christmas, and at times I've felt like Scrooge. Is that right? Am I the only person? And sometimes I have put on a show and, um, you know, and, and really wasn't there in my heart. And sometimes I've really been vibrant in my heart about the season. So I've wrestled with it. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I've just kind of wrestled with it. And uh, so that's what I want to talk to you about today. And let's just ask God to bless this time. Lord, we love you, and I'm grateful for my congregation and their honesty and their sincerity to this uh, subject matter. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us through the Word of God, that there will be an illumination of truth that will help us even when we have conflicting uh, thoughts and even emotions within our heart. May the truth of the Word of God emerge, Father, to uh, cause us to seize it and to believe in it, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. You know, today, and I don't anticipate to preach a long time today, the thought, if I could have added an additional thought to that title, I would have maybe attached a little addendum that would have said, should we celebrate Christmas when there's so much suffering? Oftentimes, that's a thought that goes on in our minds. Um, here's a song that many of you are familiar with, at least some of the lyrics. It was penned by Andy Williams. It says, uh, this is just the first uh, stanza. It says, it is the most wonderful time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year with the kids jingle. I don't know what belling is, belling, and everyone telling you be of good cheer for it's the most wonderful time of year. How many know that can be true? Yes. 
But here's also the contrast to that. At times, you could also say it's the most challenging time of the year. And it often it's the most stressful. So let's, can we just, you know, the message, pull the mask off? Can we do that for a few moments today? It's often the most stressful, definitely the most hectic time of the year. Because a pastor comes along and thrusts a giant uh, party called the Magical Christmas Night in front of you. And you have to set aside all the other things that you're doing at times and somehow work something like that right in the midst. Right? Yes, thank you. And uh, sometimes it's disappointing. Not just for children who don't get the gift that they wanted to receive. Right? We've all been there and, and we've seen children that had an expectation maybe that could not be met by a parent or was chosen by the parent not to meet. And uh, we've seen disappointment in the face of children. But, you know, parents often have great disappointment because there's conflicts in home or marriages or children that cannot come home. Right? Creates often disappointment. And, and JoJo mentioned it even earlier, loneliness. Shane talked about it last week briefly. Loneliness is something that so many people struggle with during Christmas. And often that's born out of contrast. It's born out of the contrast of seeing people whose families are intact, who are having celebrations, and they find themselves in a solitary position, and that creates loneliness. And certainly even there are heartbreaking moments at this time of the year. It wasn't that many years ago, and tragedy can still fall. Several years ago on Christmas Day, Minor Sherry's first year here as the pastors of First Assembly, we were celebrating with our family, and Billy and Sheila was there, and Sheila's son uh, went down the road to, 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 to see a family member, got in the vehicle, and then we didn't hear from him for a couple of hours and began to wonder, began to call, and all of a sudden we found out, and he had had a very, very, uh, I don't, it wasn't tragic, but, but a, a very difficult accident right there and in the emergency room and ambulance and broken bones and just scary, scary things can still happen at the most wonderful time of the year. And oftentimes, many of us wrestle emotionally with the question of the morality of Christmas. And why I chose the word morality versus spirituality because often we've already arrived at the conclusion that much of Christmas is no longer spiritual. Right? Now, it can be spiritual. So now don't think I'm, in, I'm preaching like the Scrooge up here today. There's an end to this. But, but, but Christmas can be spiritual, but for the most part, it's not spiritual, right? The culture has extracted the spirituality away from it and giving, given us just the, uh, the celebration of Christmas without the Christ of Christmas many times. And so spirituality is often extracted. So often I'm asking myself, is it even moral? At times, is there even a right or a wrong? Is there a soundness to this thing at all? And those are, those are things that go on in my mind. And, and I want to first go real quickly in the context of as Christians, you know, what, we should have a compulsion of the Word of God, a conviction that's based upon the Scriptures that affects everything that we do. You're here in this room today because there's a conviction of, of gathering in a fellowship together. You can be Christian without assembling but you're strengthened through assembling together. And you base this upon a conviction of the Word of God, correct? What about setting aside a day and saying, 
We're going to call it Christmas, and we're going to celebrate the birth of Christ. Is that biblical? Well, we'll just, just barely delve into that today by going to the familiar passage in Romans chapter number 14. Now, as we read these two verses of Scripture, and that's all the text we're going to look at today for a moment until we arrive at Luke's gospel for the narrative of Christ's birth, these, this passage of Scripture here, Paul is addressing uh, the, the, the issue of Christians involved in even uh, esteeming certain days above other days. Now, that would have probably have been in the context of first the Roman culture, but also Judaism. And Judaism had many days that they would celebrate, such as Passover or uh, Feast of First Fruits or Pentecost, certain days on the calendar given by the law that God told the Hebrew people, to celebrate, and now many Gentiles are coming into the faith, and there's a conflicting, you know, should Christians still celebrate or set aside, maybe not just annually, but weekly or a certain day. So Paul just lightly addresses it here in the fifth verse, and we read just the fifth and the sixth verse. It says, One man esteemeth one day above another, and another esteemeth every day alike. But let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. So he simply says here, so in the overall, uh, you know, in the overall synopsis of the, of the body, one person says, yeah, I'm going to celebrate some part of God's kingdom, his glory or a spiritual principle on this day, while another chooses to not celebrate. And then on contrast, when one other person is celebrating a particular day, another person may not celebrate. That person that previously celebrated another day. It says in the sixth verse, He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. In essence, Paul says, you've got to work this out. As he wrote in Philippians, you've got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And you've got to work out in your heart whether or not you should set a date of celebration. And I think there, a part of that is applicable even to Christmas. That we as believers, there's not necessarily a biblical commandment for us to set aside a calendar day of the year and call it a holiday or a holy day and worship Christ in the context of his first advent and the incarnation. But there's nothing that restricts us either. And so when you work out your own salvation, you just got to be fully persuaded. If you choose not to celebrate, then don't celebrate, but then don't look down on people who do. Come on. And then if you do choose to celebrate, right, then don't look down on people who aren't celebrating. Right? Just be fully persuaded in your own mind and live life with a smile. That's not in the scripture, but I just felt like saying it. Now, you know, some in the church have condemned Christians, their other brother, fellow brothers and sisters, uh, they've, they've condemned Christmas for its supposed superstitions. And I suppose there are some superstitions that are uh, in the context of Christmas, such as Santa Claus and uh, of the use of Christmas tree. But, you know, I want to say this. Some people say it's idolatry. I think that's a far overreaching statement. Some people condemn you for putting a, an evergreen tree in your living room and lighting it up and putting a gift under it that you're going to give to a loved one at a, a later date of the calendar month. And they are trying to make you feel like you are a, a pagan, idolatrous person of ancient of days. That the same way that ancient Israel failed by hewing down trees 
and carving them into pagan idols and worshiping them as the Gentiles did. And I think that's a far overreaching application. Myself personally, God created the tree. Next week, I'm going to preach to you, God's got a Christmas tree. And I'll save that for next week. And so, you know, and I don't believe it's the same. The reality is in Scripture, we're not commanded to worship on Sundays. But we're here, right? We're not commanded to use a hymnal or an overhead projector. We're not commanded to designate a church building or to go to Sunday school. So if you applied that theology to the Christian, to the fellowship of faith, we might call everything that we do idolatrous. So I, I don't think that really works for us. The reality is there are a lot of carnal excesses that takes place on Christmas. And especially in the culture apart from Christianity. The culture celebrates Christmas oftentimes with wild parties and now in our generation to almost blasphemous mo uh, movies. Every year it seems at Christmas time, there's a new movie that doesn't just not only make fun of Christmas, but it, it's becoming blasphemous in the context of the birth of Jesus. And so I know there's a lot of carnal excesses, and I know there's a lot of evil and wickedness, but here's also the reality of that. There's a lot of good that still takes place during the Christmas season. Did you know the Salvation Army, one of the world's greatest benevolence uh, you know, ministries gets the majority of its income during the month of December because people that are going to Walmart and they're going to Harps and they're going to the department store have compassion in their hearts and benevolence in their heart and they're willing to give. And it's not just that benevolent ministry or organization, but many others. People often during the Christmas season, they go out of their way to do acts of kindness. How is that a bad thing? How is it a bad thing when you suddenly find yourself going out of your way to do an act of kindness, such as bringing a gift to a nursing home, to somebody that you've never seen before, sharing a little bit of your time and of your fellowship with them? Or what about getting in a 15-passenger van and taking an hour-and-a-half drive down the road to sit down with a group of ladies that you have never seen before and you may never see again? But you're sharing love and compassion and fellowship and gifts and the warmth of Christ during this time. Or what about people who send gifts to their family and their friends and they wish special greetings to neighbors and even to strangers. And I'll tell you what, I want to encourage you today. Listen, I, I believe in saying happy holidays, but I believe even more of saying Merry Christmas. Right? Don't be ashamed to say Merry Christmas to someone and leave it at that. Families are often separated by time and space and careers, but they often purposely, purposely go out of their way. Military men take, take a purposeful time on their leave, men and women, to get back home with their families. I remember talking to Brother Paul Davis before he passed away, and JoJo and I had interviewed him for that video that we made in 2011. And, and we talked about him returning from World War II where he had fought so valiantly alongside of all the other men and women that stood up and defended the world against the evil of uh, Nazism and the evil of, uh, you know, the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. And he had fought in the Philippines and he had fought in Japan and, 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 and in Korea and all these things. And, and, the, and, the, and the World War had ended and he was trying so hard to strategize and get on the right plane and be on the right bus and be on the right train to get back home to be with his family at Christmas. And people still do that today. We leap forward 70 years and people are still adjusting their schedules to go and have some special times 
with their families during Christmas. How can that be a bad thing? Let's go further. But the reality is, even in the midst of that, fresh wounds are not immediately healed. Nor traumatic memories forgotten. But often people gain a little solace. I tell you, sometimes you just need a little solace. When I was in the military, we called it leave, but it was, it was, it was uh, respite to a degree. It was resting. It was just a little moment. It was a, it was a safe place in the midst of travail. And I'll tell you what, that's what Christmas can be for you. Is that right? Let's go a little bit farther. It's a little bit of comfort and a little bit of joy and a little bit of perspective that can be gained. You know, I often, or recently, I'd read a book that was given to me by uh, Sister Karen Smith, and, and I remember Dr. Brassville quoting from it several years ago, um, and, and it, was, it, was about Diedrich, it was about the life of Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor in Germany during World War II who was in prison for close to two years prior to uh, the fall of, of Nazism. And unfortunately, one of the final acts of Hitler was to sign the decree to, for him to be executed. And he spent about almost two years in a, in a German jail cell. And, 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 and it was, there was a statement that he made that was not in the context of Christmas. And he, though he wrote favorably about Christmas in his musings and in his writings because he was a theologian and brilliant, had a brilliant mind. But it was this, it was, it, was, it was in the context of the upcoming celebration of a family member's wedding family member's wedding that he was hoping to be released from prison to attend, to which he was not, because he would die again through execution after having been in prison for almost two years. But he wrote about it, and I can't quote it for you, but I'm going to paraphrase a little bit of the theme by which he said. He, he, he mused on whether or not in the midst of the world at war, in the midst of part of Germany being blinded by a demonic spirit and atrocities being poured out upon the Jewish people, things that many Germans died to prevent that often is not shared, and, and it takes looking at the history a little bit closer. As he contemplated the, the morality behind celebrating an upcoming wedding in the context of so much suffering. And this was his kind of, uh, his response. In the midst of all that suffering, we definitely should celebrate. Because if we don't, then evil has taken us all. But rather than succumb to the darkness, shine a bright light in the midst of it. And I tell you what, that's what we can do this Christmas. I know there are excesses. I know there are things out of control. And, and many times, even, even, uh, uh, even in Christians' homes, we have fallen prey to excesses and within our families. But I tell you what, we can still find a moment to shine the glorious light of His love and of His grace to a lost and a dying world. Now, what is certainly true is that Christmas has become much more than the original intent. But let me say this, even though it's become more than what perhaps was the original intent, whatever is good, whatever is decent, and whatever is wholesome, whatever that can bring joy and smile and happiness has to have an origination point. has to have an origination point. I know maybe it's become this, but if you really want to get to the heart of Christmas, you've got to go back to the beginning. 
You got to go back before there was an evergreen tree called a Christmas tree. You got to go back before there was tinsel and lights, before there was eggnog and parties and celebrations. You got to go back to a sliver of time in the history of mankind when God looked down from heaven and chose to smile upon the world and announce good news to a lost and dying world. You got to go back and look at it. A night that would change the world forever. That's what we're going to do to close the message out today for just a few short minutes. We're going to journey, and we're going to just read it one time. Maybe you'll do it with your family. Maybe you'll do it in your private devotions. But today, to close out this message today at 1147 on uh, this December the 18th, we're going to turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter number 2, and we're going to read 14 verses of Scripture that echo the words of Scripture, that, that are the words of Scripture in the context of Christ's birth. And let's read it together for just a few moments here today there's a couple of things that i would like to draw your attention to for just a moment luke 2 verse 1 through 7 first says and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from caesar augustus that all the world should be taxed and this taxing was first made when serenius was governor of syria and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. Now, you and I are familiar from having read previously in the first chapter of Luke's gospel and Matthew's account of the angel's appearance first to Zacharias announcing the birth of John the Baptist, second to the virgin young girl named Mary in Nazareth, thirdly to, the, uh, to, the, to Joseph in a dream when Joseph supposed to put her away upon the revelation that she was now pregnant and though she was betrothed to him or betrothed to him, and, and, and the supposed thought was that she had committed infidelity and had broke their marital arrangement and you know that God spoke to him fear not Joseph to take unto thee Mary to be thy wife because that thing which has been conceived in her is conceived of the Holy Ghost and he awoke out of sleep and he took Mary to be his espoused wife and then the taxation was made that would cause him and his wife to journey 70 miles over treacherous and difficult terrain to go from Galilee down to Judea to the land of his forefathers nativity the land or the city of David Bethlehem and while there while there she would then have that child let's read it further to be taxed with Mary his espoused wife who was great with child and so it was listen and so it was that while they were there the days were accomplished that she should be delivered now I thought on this for just a moment and I don't know if I can make a deep spiritual principle in here today but maybe the ladies will understand this a little bit more as I was reading this as I my attention was drawn to the sixth verse and I did not see that the child would be delivered but I saw that Mary would be delivered. And then I put that in its context for just a moment. I know that there was a deliverance that the child was separated from its mother's womb. But I thought in this context is that we often in today's time say, well, go to the delivery one where the baby's going to be delivered. And we think of the baby being delivered. But no, Mary was the one that was delivered. 
She was delivered from the trauma of pregnancy. She was delivered from the pain and the travail. She was delivered from the original grief and the challenge and the sorrow that had been placed upon her through the condemnation of her local residents in Nazareth who looked down upon her, who did not believe her when she told them that the Son of God that was, was born inside of her, conceived inside of her, was born of the Holy Spirit, who did not believe her. But in that moment, in that night, when she gave birth to that son, she was delivered. She was delivered in that particular hour. And it says, so she brought forth. Her firstborn son, she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And if you were here two years ago, you may remember that I stood on this platform during Christmas season and I shared with you perhaps a revelation in the context of the birth of Jesus that it was not in the traditional stable outside of Bethlehem where the common uh, animal might have been kept, but actually that Jesus perhaps was born in what was known as the Tower of Migdal. The Tower of Migdal belonging to the temple in Jerusalem in the vicinity of Bethlehem where the lambs that were being... Uh, chosen by the priesthood to be offered in the temple and sacrificed were birth. It was a kosher or a holy place. And it is, it is very possible that it is in that place Jesus himself was born. And two years ago I shared with you, wouldn't it have been just like God? Wouldn't it have been just like God to have brought forth the Lamb of God in the place where the sacrificial lambs of Judaism were born? Whereas God said, every lamb that's been born up until this point was insufficient. But on this night, when Mary was delivered of this child, and he was laid in a manger, he was laid there as the lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. Glory to God. Now, I know many of you have never forgotten that message, and you never will. Because of the, of the impact of the story upon our hearts. But now look at the eighth verse as we transition very quickly because I'm going to get you to a culminating point here very briefly. It says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field by night. These, If that's true to what I just said relating to verse number 7, then these would have been no ordinary shepherds. These would have, would have been priestly shepherds. They were abiding in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord shone round about them. I love that term, the angel of the Lord, because it's applied first to Zacharias. The angel of the Lord came to Zacharias. The angel of the Lord went to Mary. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in his dream. And we know the angel of the Lord to be Gabriel. And so the, the, the angel Gabriel came and he shone upon them. And the glory of the Lord shines round about them. So think about this. And they were sore afraid. So in this context, for just a moment, if we're going back to the origination of Christmas to look for some type of solace in a world that's taken it and extracted the spirituality away from it and filled it with excess, that you and I, if we'll go back to its beginning, we can still see spiritual principles that could change our lives forever because on that darkened night, that glorious power of God was clearly seen by the shepherds. I wrote it this way. Darkness is driven away by the glory of the Lord. And I said, that's my prayer for you, your family, your children, your home this Christmas that the darkness of this world the darkness of night the darkness of the age the darkness of the excess of even this time can be driven away by the glorious light of the love of God hallelujah so even as you struggle with the morality of Christmas your darkness can be driven away by the light of his glory and I love this 10th verse so many times in scripture God says fear not can't you hear those words echoing by the voice of the Holy Spirit in your heart today? 
You say, Pastor, fear not. What do you mean? I'm saying, I understand. Islam terrorists are increasing their activity. But the word of the angel is still true today. Fear not. I know there's uncertainty and political tensions around the world. But the word of the Lord of the, through the angel is still applicable today. Fear not. I know that you're, they're, they're saying tensions are now uh, resurfacing with Russia. And they're increasing. You know what I say to you today? I repeat the words of the angel. Fear not. Listen, you say, Pastor, I just lost my job. I'm going through a difficult time in a relationship. The words of the angel are true. Fear not. Fear not. Because God is with you. Verse 10. Verse 10 stands out to me today. As I conclude this day. I believe verse 10 contradicts the theology that teaches that we should not celebrate Christmas. I believe it stands as a contrast to it. Even the conflicting emotions and thoughts that I've wrestled in my own heart and mind from the years gone by when I've looked back and I've been a little like a Scrooge or a little Grinchy. And I thought maybe I shouldn't celebrate it because the world has taken and abused it and misused it. But verse 10 stands out to me. For here I see the words of the angel. The angel says, fear not because I bring you good tidings of great joy which belong not just to First Assembly, not just to the Christian world, not just to the Western world, but all men everywhere. The good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ has come into the world born of a woman, born, come on somebody, under the law that he might redeem those that are under the law. Fear not, I bring you good tidings of great joy. So you may choose not to celebrate Christmas like many others do, but here's the reality. Good news that brings great joy should always be celebrated. Good news that brings great joy should always be celebrated. Did you know in days gone by, we didn't have instant news. Today we have instant news, good news and bad news. Anything that's happening that's bad news immediately. Right? I'm talking from school campus shootings, tragedies like this, political upheaval news. It's instant. It's at your fingertips. And generations gone by, that's not the case. Good news or bad news might not arrive for days on end, weeks on end. The war's lost. The war's over. The war's won. Somebody, a loved one's died. When did they die? Months ago. Good news or bad news? It was not instant news, but on that night, God chose to share instant news. He wanted the world to know. He wanted the world to know. And so he sent an angel to announce it to the shepherds that good news that Jesus had been born. It was for rich and poor. It was for saint and sinner. It was for male and female. And it was for Jew and Gentile. It was for that generation 2,000 years ago. And it's just as true today. And it needs to ring clear in our ears on Christmas morning. Good news to all people. A Savior has been born. A Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. He's a deliverer. He's the anointed one. And he is the Lord of all. And as I bring Aaron back to the platform with me today, I notice in the 12th verse. And I want you to hear this as you have wrestled with the morality of whether or not you ought to celebrate during Christmas. I've noticed this in the 12th and the 13th verse. And then it says this, suddenly, the 13th verse, excuse me, suddenly, there was an angel, uh, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host who were praising God. And they were saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. I noticed an irony in this because angels do not need deliverance. Angels do not need 
redemption. Mankind needs deliverance. And mankind needs deliverance. But angels who need no deliverance stopped what they were doing in heaven and said, I want to be a part of the first choir that ever sings the song of praise and adoration to the newly born king. Add my voice to the angelic host, he said. Angels signed up and came rushing down, penetrated through the darkness of the night on that Bethlehem, uh, in that field that night, and announced to the world, we want to sing songs of praise and adoration. Well, then if an angel is greater in might and power and strength than we are, could recognize the value and the virtue and the holiness and the need to celebrate the birth of Christ, then who are we, the fallen man, that needs to say, God, thank you. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you today for the entirety of the story. See, some people tell us this. Some theologians say things of this. They say it's the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus that brings the deliverance. And you know what? I agree with you. But every story has a beginning. Christmas and the birth of Christ is the, birth, is the beginning of that story. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to be honest. I've arrived at the conclusion it would be wrong not to celebrate. It would be wrong not to have a smile on our faces. It would, not, it would be wrong not to have a little pep in our step because of Jesus, because of what he's done. So as I conclude today, I want to address things personally, just quickly about what we're doing as a fellowship. Before your family gathers on the 25th or the 24th or the 26th or whatever you do, on Wednesday night as a fellowship, we're going to open the doors of this assembly. We're going to invite the community. We're just going to invite the community. You know what we're going to do in a simple display to start this whole process? We're going to have a living nativity. No one's going to be there preaching a sermon. It's not going to be on the loudspeakers. It's just a picture. It's just a snapshot of just what it, a little glimpse of what it might would have looked like when Mary took forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. And the angel stood by and sang a song of praise to the newly born king. It's just a picture. That's where it's going to start. Then we're going to move in to the church, inside the church, where people are going to be greeted by smiles and laughter. There's going to be songs if the weather affords it. We're going to have carolers singing songs of adoration and praise before people can even enter the building. Once inside, yes, children are going to sit on the lap of old St. Nicholas. And they're going to hope for a brighter day. And you can argue the theology and the, 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 all that all you want to. But I'm okay. Children need to be taught to believe in a brighter day. And then they're going to come back here. And you know what? That, that, that family life center is going to be filled with the sound of laughter as children play games. And there's going to be food. And there's going to be fun. And there's going to be celebration. JoJo's going to play music. Uh, Grinch's heart is going to slowly warm to the reality of Christ. Christmas trees and Christmas lights are going to be in full display. Here's the reality. Pain will not be erased. 
nor tragedy or sorrow or suffering. But whether it's Wednesday the 21st or Sunday the 25th or any day that you pause to ponder the wonder and marvel of his birth, you can experience joy, peace, and goodwill towards men. The words that the angel spoke 2,000 years ago can still be vibrant in our hearts if we believe. So as I close, and you say, Pastor, you've said that three times. This is the truth. I have wrestled with the question of the morality of of Christmas. I have. And I chose to celebrate. And I hope you will as well. Our heads are bowed and eyes closed.